And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. And uh, and thank you for all the comments uh, on Twitter. Thanks for uh, writing reviews and rating the thing on iTunes. I have to say, it's really fun for me to see um, how you're reacting to the show, what you're getting out of it, what you dig. Um, I loved uh, people uh, being happy about the fact that we had Ellen Barkin on because uh, not only because she's just incredible, um, but also uh, the fact that she was a woman. I had started to get all these tweets about uh, having uh, women guests uh, and I had been trying and trying and I have more lined up. And uh, it, uh, to me, um, a great artist, a great creative person, male, female, uh, it doesn't matter. Um, I'm excited to talk to them. So it was great to get my sister Jenny and Ellen and um, more to come. Uh, hopefully Amy Mann very soon said she'd do it. Uh, Liz Fair, who's uh, two of my absolute you know, songwriting uh, heroes, I think are going to be coming up. Today's guest is Jake Kasdan. If you've been listening a while, you know that I, I pretty much um, book all these guests and, and know them, and many of them are my friends. Um, I've never met Jake before, and uh, he was pitched to me. And uh, when this has happened before, I, I've, I've usually t- turned it down. Uh, but I am a real, I'm a real fan uh, of Jake Kasdan. There's a movie he made, probably his, his least known movie, that's uh, really important to me. And uh, I plan to really dive in and talk about it. Uh, you know, his, his dad, Larry Kasdan, is one of the greatest filmmakers who ever lived, maybe the greatest screenwriter and incredibly influential director. You know, if, if, uh, if Jake were a friend of mine, I would definitely, like, ask about it and, and growing up that way, and I'm going to try to uh, find a way to, to dive into it be, because um there are certain resonances in 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 his dealing with that uh to my own life that uh that I want to bring up. Uh let's all see if in the end uh I have the stones to do so. Thanks for listening. Um and uh soon uh Jake Kazan will be walking in here. Uh a few of his credits, I mean, uh, you know, Walk Hard, uh The Pilot of Freaks and Geeks, um Sex Tape which is in theaters now, The Zero Effect the TV set, and I'm not looking at IMDb, so uh, I could definitely, Orange County, be leaving some out, but I think I got many of them, uh, and oh, the pilot's a new girl, he was an executive producer of that show. Jake Kasdan will be here soon, thanks for listening. I'm, I'm really interested in talking to you about, and Jake Kasdan is here, I already introduced you before you walked in, yeah. um, but do you have a creative, sort of any creative rituals? Because I realized a few years ago, like, I really have a series of things that I try to do in the morning to get myself ready yeah. to do the thing. Yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah. Do you, do you, um, other than like seeing your kids all and then getting like, what do you have any way that you think about calibrating? You know, um, I mean, it's, it's funny cause I, as a writer, I have like the worst conceivable habits of right. just like, it takes me forever and, you know, like I'm a real procrastinator and I'd like to write at night, which is kind of like a horrible life. And when you have a family, it gets, becomes an even worse way to do it, you know? Um, 
and you feel bad about yourself a lot of the time because the procrastinating kind of makes you feel bad. Yeah, miserable. Um, yeah, it can be really miserable. For the directing part of it, you know, I have to, um, you, you know, it's really structured, obviously, and you can't be left to your own devices really in any way. And with that, I have a little bit of a thing of just like, uh, you know, I'm kind of perpetually late in my life, but I am very careful when I'm actually working to, like, always be early, which is a sort of very basic, but actually is a somewhat ritualistic thing because there's a thing of just like getting to where you got to be with enough time to kind of adapt to the fact that you're there and sort of visualize what's about to happen. <laughs> no, I mean, there's very little, very little gets me angry on a, on a movie or TV set. Yeah. But like, I mean, Berbiglia, do you know Berbiglia at all? Mike Berbiglia, his, his new show opens with a yeah, whole 10 minutes guy. about, um, being about late people <laughs> and the vanity, <laughs> the vanity required to be a late person. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, a, it's, and it's, it's staggering. A real thing. Yeah. And when people are late on um on a movie set, well, that's the worst because then you've got a hundred people sitting there waiting. You know, I was never really like late to work, but it's like the thing of. I mean, I've had it happen maybe twice, and it was mortifying enough oh. to where I remember both times vividly, and it was like traffic, but like doesn't matter. Were you it's directing? Just, yeah, I had it happen once when I was directing that I was like, I just got completely lost and it was a horrible horrible that's, feeling that like sticks cold, with you for a long time you that's know? a cold sweat right yeah there. exactly which i think was ozzy's third single by the <laughs> way on blizzard of oz yeah. it was cold sweat nightmare but no but that is a cold sweat nightmare yeah oh it's horrible it's because, horrible and you walk in and everyone's sitting there well, also as the director because you are the uh, i mean it's hard people you know the, the militaristic side yeah of film right and you're like yeah, it's the worst. And, you know, it was a funny thing, too, because that particular thing was a TV show that I um, was directing an episode, and, and it wasn't a show that I was involved in as a, you know, uh, kind of at a higher... I was just directing one episode of a show, which I've never... I've done it, you know, once or twice, but not very much. And um, I think this was actually the last time. And uh, it was a Californication. I had made this movie with David Duchovny and um, just... You know, he asked me to come do an episode of the second season of his show, and I went and did it and um, got, like, badly, painfully lost on the way to Marina Del Rey and walked in so horrified into this house that they were shooting in. And there's a funny thing when you're, like, an episodic director on a second season show where there's a part of you that feels like... It's a little bit You're an borderline yeah. what I'm doing here anyway. It's a it's well, also, cause, like Tom could direct the episode. I'm not sure, right? Tom could direct Tom the episode. Tom could do it. David could, could do it. The and episode. the DP, Mike Waver, could do it. There's Evan a part Handler. of it was just Evan like, well, you really are 100%. There's a part of you that's just going, oh, man, you guys should have just started without me. I could have hopped into this easily. You know? <laughs> uh, I had a different Californication experience, which was Tom asked to meet. We met. And he was like, I want you to direct next season. And Dave and I were like, oh, we've never done an episode. Yeah. We'll totally do it. Uh, and then uh, that was it. Never, never happened. happened. <laughs> so, Tom, I know you could have directed all of them. But also, dude, you got a call. Because you said you, you wanted to meet us. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then nothing. Um, I guess you used Jake because he's, you know, great. <laughs> Which, no, that makes sense. But, all right, you mentioned... The, 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 so I, almost everybody I've interviewed um, on this thing has been a friend or a collaborator in some uh -huh. way. A couple of people, not collaborator like the Nazi, like the yeah. Vichy, not the Vichy, <laughs> but like yeah, a, right. someone I've collaborated uh -huh. with. That's and, the theme. <laughs> yeah. But uh, 
but when um when I got the email um about having you on, I was so excited because uh-huh. um the TV set means <laughs> so much to me. Thanks, man. And, <laughs> it's great to hear. And uh, and I got it. So and we're, we'll get to sex tape. And I really want to talk about, I read this great quote of yours on IMDb because, you know, this shows the moment. I'm really interested in these moments where life changes. And I'm very interested in, like, what you felt on Freaks and Geeks and uh-huh. how, yeah. and the sort of what happened to you, at, you know, you made your first movie as such a young person. And, and I want to talk about how you sort of grabbed onto all of that, knowing sure. sort of like the legacy you were dealing with. But. The TV set, if people haven't seen this movie. <laughs> Which almost no one has seen. Yeah, but you <laughs> it's have a secret to, movie. But people in town, from, I imagine, yeah. from time to time, do people say to you, like... Yeah, they do. They you do. got this right in a way nobody ever has gotten it right? Well, you know, it's... Yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a movie about a pilot season uh, for the, the vast majority of everybody who's never heard of it. The, um, it and it's a very kind of... Uh, detailed rendering of like three crucial moments in the making of one pilot and the uh, showrunner being played by David Duchovny sort of gradually having the thing kind of shattered. The the first, but uh, here's what I'm so interested in. So you've only, you've only written two movies, right? Um, Where you've really been the, the original. I wrote my first movie, Zero Effect. I wrote, wrote the TV set. Oh, I wrote I, TV set. I wrote Walk, Walk Hard. Hard. Yeah. Um, with Judd. And uh, and then I did some writing on the movie I just made. Yeah. Right. But as far as like the ideas springing forth from from you. Yes. TV set was the second one. And uh, it the movie reads to me like I watched that film and the first 40 minutes of it um, are all about the way in which this this guy who knows what he should do yeah. <laughs> and who has core principles. Yeah, that's right. Um, abandons them and sells them out Yeah. Um, for what he tells himself is like the greater good. Yeah. Of his family yeah. and his career. Yeah, making these small agonizing compromises one at a time, you know, uh, believing that he's doing the right thing to kind of keep his project on track as he's kind of getting these veiled threats that you know, notes and casting preferences that kind of come with veiled threats. And, uh... I mean, this movie's available. Like, you can find it on iTunes and Netflix. It comes on and off of, of yeah. Netflix. And I, I would just say that um, there's this process when you cast a television show that yeah. doesn't happen... <laughs> Unlike any... anything else, yeah. <laughs> and particularly a network yeah. television show. Yeah. Um, where you bring... I mean, you describe this experience that happens. You, as the creator, have a choice. Right. You find the person who should play <laughs> yeah. the part. You go through this sort of long, agonizing audition process on your own, and then you bring your your task is to bring not just the person you want to play the part uh, first to the studio that's producing the show, and then to the network that's going to air the show, but to bring them the person you want. And also one or two other people who you don't want as backups to the person you want but, so that but they can participate in the decision. But it, it can't be <laughs> obvious that you don't want those right. people. Because <laughs> then, and there's no part, I've, I haven't come across any part of, of the, the whole Hollywood machinery that feels as much like you're dealing with Ramsey's the Pharaoh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
as as that, yeah. As when the network president is gonna is going to uh, rule, live Issue. or die. <laughs> That's exactly right. There's nothing quite like it, and they're you know they're surrounded by a group of people whose job it is to kind of facilitate everything leading up to that moment, and to. Uh, you know, in many cases, protect you from yourself <laughs> on the way to presenting the actors that you want, or to, um, but, but you know, I, I could so feel watching that. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I've watched, like, I've watched the whole movie probably three times. Oh, that's but I've, great. <laughs> I've watched the first, I've watched the first thirty-five or forty minutes of that movie like endless uh, amounts of time thanks, man. as I've tried that's to explain to, to people. Um, like I had this, and then I, I had this tragic moment um, when, and you show it in the thing. I mean, it's the truest. I was just—if you want to understand a forensic, um, the, <laughs> the way this happens, you have to watch this movie because the character brings these two choices, and it's so obvious to him. Right. And to us, <laughs> exactly. He brings the guy he really wants, who's perfect, and then he brings another guy who is just way too big, and in, in kind of. A clear second choice and in the course of the audition the guy who's perfect sort of feels the energy of the room because the auditions in front of like 30 people you're auditioning <laughs> and you have to perform so i once had and i'll tell you the names after because yeah. you'll love it but yeah. i once brought dave and I, my filmmaking partner i brought these two people in to play this one part yeah and it was the part of um, a guy who really worked for the people yeah and who was uh like uh somebody who was cool but the kind of cool that comes from a life of service. Yeah, exactly. And so we brought the actor who was that yeah, yeah, into yeah. his core. Yeah. And he came in wearing, you know, shitty jeans yeah. <laughs> and like a work shirt. Yeah. And then the other guy, other choice came in in like scarf yeah. and black leather jacket. Cooler. Handsomer. And, yeah. and knew <laughs> and knew like to like the right way to say hello to the network president. Right. Busted the room up. Yeah. Even though the thing wasn't a comedy. Yeah, just figured out a way to charm. And them. so the first guy goes first and like is just earnest and real. Yeah. And the next guy and it ends and the network president just turns and yeah. goes like well, that's obvious. And Dave and I went, well, of course yeah, it's obvious. And your heart just sinks and, and you it, realize you've got the wrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so, just brutal. <laughs> but, but so how does, here's my question for you. Yeah. How does someone who's able to to um, write that script <laughs> as this manifesto? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and as this sort of like call to purpose? Yeah. I mean, what happens to, like, how do you then get sucked back in? How do I end up going back to it? How do you go back to TV and what do you tell yourself about the way, because it seems to me like somebody who decided I'm fresh, I'm not, I mean, it's very clearly written by someone who's like, I know I'm this person yeah. and I'm not going to be this person again. Yeah. So, so how did you change the way in which you worked? You know, I think that, um, the, I mean, the, the, simplest answer is you know in terms of how i got back into it was uh liz merriweather who created new girl which is a show that i i directed the pilot and i i still work on the show you know i have been going into the fourth year now um it, she wrote the script and she wrote to me and said will you please come direct this and i just responded to it and um you know, it was just like a creative connection of just re responding to the material, responding to her voice, liking what she was like, and kind of 
wanting to go make this thing, you know, with it. So in a way it was just the most basic kind of like, you know, creative impulse with the, you know, responding to someone's work. And, um, you know, with the thought that it would be a very quick, I mean, it was, you know, she said like, can you come do this for a week in March? <laughs> <laughs> Good pitch, you know, four years ago now, and uh, and Liz was, the, Liz was the person who created the original uh, Daily Show, right? Didn't she work on the Daily Show? No, in the old days. Oh no, no, Liz, no. I know that's right. Liz no. Merriweather uh, exactly created, created New Girl. She wrote yes. um, uh, uh, No Strings Attached, um, right. and um, oh yeah, which had a better title originally. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, yeah, she's she writes the and actually New Girl did too, and she. Uh, oh, what she, was the original title of New Girl? Uh, Chicks and Dicks, I think. Right, and the other one was Buddies, which even if they even if they beep the beginning of it, you know what what the word is because you know Buddies is a big tip off. That's right, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's only so many profanities that end with Buddies. Yeah. Um, So, you know, and then once, so I was sort of thinking I'd go make this pilot and. That would be it. And what actually happened was we, you know, we got Zoe Deschanel to play that part, and it just became this really kind of positive thing that was hard to leave, and I kind of never left, you know. Yeah, but I guess what I'm asking you is the whole making of movies and television requires navigating the Some issues kind of, that you yeah. raise in TV sets. I think that the, in terms of the answer to the question, you know, how did I change how I approached it i think that i realized that you can tell all different kinds of stories in all different kinds of places now more than ever there are all different venues and it's really important to choose the right venue for the thing you're trying to do and i think that the the thing that the character in the movie is doing which is you know how can i stretch what TV dramas are on network TV, primetime network television is really hard to do and probably just not a thing to do at this point. Like, if you want to do a certain kind of more daring and challenging drama, serialized drama series, you probably shouldn't do it in a place where you know they're going to be fighting you every step of the way on the most essential elements of it. <laughs> so you're yeah, you're aware of it like actually at the engagement stage. Yeah, now. I feel like that's where you're able to kind of determine a lot of what the experience is going to be like and it's not to say that you can't have um something go wrong, that you can't have conflict, disagreements with people along the way. But the kind of like epic terrible version of that that can really like crush your soul and destroy the project. I do believe that if you're if you kind of have your eyes open and are empowered to the point where you feel like you can walk away you can identify pretty early the nature of the experience you're going to have and have some determination about what that's going to be like and that has basically been my experience since returning to network tv after like a 5 year or more like 7 year break during which i made uh, TV set, you know, is that you could sort of, if you're doing, if we're going to make a sitcom, let's make a sitcom and let's make a great sitcom. You know, let's do our very best to make the the best version of the show that we can. Sure. Um, you know, so there's like an adjustment there, I think. And the, but the, the, the other thing that I think, and I, that 
is so um, called to arms is, is, you know, there's that that really sort of um, intense and, and and I mean, funny. The movie's really funny, but that painful scene uh, at the at the was the soccer game or ba- baseball yeah. little league game, right? And the power net where the you know the network person, <laughs> you know, you're so acutely aware of the power dynamics, right? When you set out now to go make um, a movie, are are you conscious of how you how you like thread the needle and how you retain the creative control that you need? Um, and you know, you're so aware in that movie of the sort of uh, what people at the beginning of their career. Th- often think is like a necessary level of obsequiousness yeah <laughs> which obviously like exactly. uh, obsequy isn't something you can you can really like mess around with now that you're uh you've sort of called yourself out on it right <laughs> so how does that yeah. change how you glad hand people in this process you know part of it i think it, another huge part of this is And uh, this is something that I feel like Judd kind of led me to a little bit. Judd Apatow, who I work with a lot. And, um, you know, if you are approaching it as though it's a combative situation, you're much much more likely to have it be a combative situation. And if you're approaching all of this as though you're having conversations with people you're working with, it just changes it a little bit. And if they think that there's a chance based on the work you've done in the past that it might make some money, that helps too. That's very recent development for me. I was doing this for years <laughs> before I had anything make anyone any money and I managed to keep it going. But you, if you... And I think the reason is that if you are engaged in a conversation... If you think of it as a conversation, then first of all, you're able to respond in a, in a more um, open way. You're able to hear, hopefully, what is at the center of the thing that they're saying rather than the detail of the thing that they're saying and not fixate on a detail that you don't agree with sometimes. And the other thing that I think is huge is, you know, sometimes when the people you're working with can sense or working for can sense that you are aware that there is a commercial motive behind all of this, it puts them at ease and the conversation becomes a little different that way too. Like sometimes, and I think it took me a really really long time to realize that because, um, you know, they are sort of grateful that you're conscious of their concerns and in some ways, that I think can kind of help. That can help a lot of this. It's weird you know? in a way you're talking about actually seeing them be as humans. Yeah, with their I own set right. of actual um, cares and issues and priorities. Yeah, I think that's right, and it requires you to because obviously they are, and they are as much as a note can drive you insane, or an opinion, or a dictate from somewhere on high can make you can really cause you know, can make you crazy and make you miserable. Um, I do think, you know, you you do kind of have to remember that these are actually people. And that part of the thing that's funny about, uh, to me is funny in the movie and that I was kind of writing about in the movie is that as much as that's true, there's also all this odd decorum that that's just so kind of crazy um, and doesn't have a lot of corollaries in 
normal life. No, very few. Well, it does, but like in in North Korea. (laughs) Exactly. It feels like a different culture. Um, So anyway, I think it, yeah, I think that is part of it is um, adjusting slightly how you have the, it's like, what are the, how you approach the conversations, and then there is this big thing of what's the material, and is it in the right place to begin with? Are you spending an amount of money that's commensurate with what you're trying to yes. do? But yet, in your, all your work, or much of your work, there is a sort of deep skepticism about um, authority yeah. and, exp- <laughs> and right, supposed experts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, that runs through the yeah. sort of, like, pomposity, you know. Yeah. The, the the sort of received wisdom about um, what matters, uh, you know, even Walk Hard, which is, I mean, just, I, I you know, a movie I, I just adore. Uh, I know, I saw it in this, I you know, I went to the, th- which is a big thing to say, like, I went to the theater and, and saw it. Um, uh, yeah, which again, almost no one did. You've gone right to the two that have, were like my secret movies, and that's, uh, I love but, that. Yeah. But, but, but Walk Hard, um, to me, it's like, you're sending up. It's, it's weird, you know. People call it. A, I think you got hurt by the marketing in that movie, right? Yeah, which is yeah. I mean, you know, it was a hard one to market, and they they we never cracked it. it they never cracked. Easy it. to market that as a, a a spoof, though. Yeah, and it's really satire. I think it's pretty deep satire. Yeah, and you know, you're sending up to me like this idea of a certain brand of American authenticity sprung from a certain kind of like tragic American experience yeah. and. How we're supposed to, uh, you know, just believe uh, in these sort of great man myths, great man that. myths, yeah. right? Yeah. And and you can look at that. You can look at Orange County, which you didn't write, but which yeah. uh, I think you know deals with some of the same things uh, of of you know institutions yeah. uh, that are supposed to be um, you know uh, august and yeah, yeah, sacrosanct. Yeah. And so uh, there's no more sort of BS. Uh, sacrosanct <laughs> thing than like the Hollywood yeah, insider exactly. thing. And now you go and you're making big, you know, Bad Teacher's a big hit movie and you're making uh, this this movie's a big commercial endeavor. Yeah. Do you, and, and I know that this movie, though I haven't seen Sex Tape, yeah. uh, I know what it, I know what it is. Yeah. Um, do you still feel like this, this desire to be subversive as you, as you do these things? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's all different ways that a thing can be subversive, too. I mean, you know, these both Bad Teacher and Sex Tape are like, um, you know, fairly edgy R-rated comedies yeah. that is a certain kind of subversion. Um, although Sex Tape is actually a much sort of sweeter movie than uh, than Bad Teacher, you know? Um, it's still a, it's still like a hard R comedy with a lot of outrageous sex stuff and all that, you know. Um, I think you know it. I, I guess I think of them both as kinds of like pop songs, and I love pop songs. Yes. And I, I I sort of how I think about New Girl too, and it's how we talk about it a lot. Is like, um, you know, it's like a. a New Girl's, very special, New Girl's a very special thing. Yeah. I mean, the tone of that show oh, is... Uh, there's no other show so. on television that has anything approaching <laughs> the tone of that Oh, that's good to hear. Show. That, I, yeah, I think that thing is sui generis. It's not uh, in any... I, I see what you mean by it's a pop song, but it's a... 
it's a pop song like that XTC made. Yeah, it's not... well, that, that's good. I mean, that's what I mean. It's, you sort of want them to be like well-crafted pop songs that are, can can kind of try new things within. You know, you don't want them to be. Uh, you want them to be new in their way and to be pushing in, pushing some aspect of the form you're working with or using the actors in some interesting way. I mean, I don't think it's no easier, in other words. In some ways, I think sometimes it's harder because when you're working within a familiar shape and there's some expectation of like an emotional kind of um, delivery, delivery, you there's a bunch of pitfalls to that and to do it well when it's done well, it's like one of my favorite things. It's not my only favorite thing, but it's one of my favorite things. And so, you know, I, I sort of think of it like, I guess that's how I think of it. Well, so how do you, how do you, as a, as a director, when you're mm-hmm. not writing, when the idea doesn't occur to you yeah. first, how do you make these choices? Like what draws you to tell a particular story at a particular time? Is it the people with whom you're working? Is it, like the spark of the idea, do you start to see the the pictures? Like, how does it manifest for you? You know, it's it's generally the people, the writing, and just like, is it making me laugh? I mean, like with these comedies that are like, um, it's mostly what I've been doing in the last several years. It really is this very basic thing of like, am I laughing? And and when you are, it's it's powerful, and it's just like you kind of got to trust that thing quite a bit, you know? It doesn't mean you do everything that makes you laugh, but it's hard to find stuff that really makes you laugh. And um, and when you do, you, you kind of take notice, you know? And then there's, like, what are the other elements of it, and the people are a big part of it. Um, do you usually know quickly? Yeah, I can usually tell fairly quickly if I think something's really funny. And if I can, and if it, you know, by the time you get to the end of it, you have a pretty good sense of whether it's even a possibility. And I do generally. You know, Sex Tape, this movie was actually a little bit different thing where there was a script that I really liked, but was having a hard time kind of zeroing in on it fully just what I would do with it and then there was more work to it and it was that rare thing where um, the revisions continue you know a different writer comes in and does a revision that's actually very faithful to what the thing started out as you know where you could read the rewrite and think like I'll bet the writer the original writer might like this. You might, might not like she, every she, single she, he or she might not hate it. Might not hate it because this is sort of a continuation of the same thing, you know? I mean, it's how you, you're guessing, but it but feels that, to me So that's like what you a, did? You brought in a writer well, to Well, no, on I it? didn't actually. What happened was um, it was originally, this movie was written by Kate Angelo, wrote a really funny script. Um, she, it was sent to me around then. It was right after Bad Teacher had come out and there was sort of a sense that maybe it would be a good thing for Jason and Cameron and um, I had just made a movie with them, and I love them, and um, worked with Jason for years. And, right. um, I was not quite there with it. I was. It was hard for me to just jump into a movie at that moment. I was in the middle of a bunch of New Girls' first year and all that. And um, and then Jason and Nick Stoller did a pass at it together. Um, 
They're and, a hell of a team, those yeah, two. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're great. Really, really yeah. funny. And, you know, great writers and both good friends of mine. Um, and I think that Nick was kind of thinking maybe he would direct it. Uh, you know, I think that was the idea at that point. And then I think he, uh, you know, sort of started to focus on something else he was writing that became Were you going to help produce it then? Were you then going to produce... Like, were you circling or talking I was, to I them? I was or? sort of talking to them about it a little bit. Like, I mean, because like you guys are all like a close-knit community. Close enough to where we were all having those conversations Yeah, how does that together? all... Yeah. I mean, is that all difficult to sort of... No, I, I mean, it was... It, it, it's honestly, it's like... Um, it's not that difficult. I, you know, like, in that particular case, Nick called me and said... I'm trying to remember. I think he called me and said, you know, is this thing you're still interested in? I said, no, you should go take a run at it, you know? And then it ended up, they did some work to it that I thought was was great. And then he ended up, he wasn't going to direct it. Um, and they kind of came back to me and uh, I thought they had done great stuff and I had more I wanted to do. And I and And Jason and I took a run at it after that, you know? I think, um, you know, in terms of how that all works with the, it's really, I got to say, not, it's been almost, for me anyway, I can't speak for everybody, for me, it's just been this, like, unbelievably great thing, where yeah. these are, like, really good friends of mine, you know, um, and it's a group that we've all, you know, we all like working together enough to where we keep doing it. Now, I have a, a really good friend of mine, I won't say who, who but who's been on this um, podcast, is a um, a com you know a writer director and yeah. I know that Nick had written another thing that he decided not to do and yeah. my buddy's writing that for him to direct yeah, yeah. and I and I, I didn't talk about it with him on on here but we were on the phone the other day and he was like yeah you know we talked to each other and it's it's weird you know on the side of the street that I work it's somehow more a little more competitive yeah um, less collegial I think I there's think. a lot of I think this is unique to this group. There's just it's just not a hugely competitive group, or or it's just a supportive. Like you guys are all not hugely people, competitive obviously. with each other, you know? Yeah, really supportive. I mean, like to the point where everybody kind of goes to each other's stuff oh, and yeah, we, table yes. reads and pitch together, and um, you know, uh, yeah, we. I mean, I would say I like know. my friends who are writer directors who do more like I guess dramas, um, yeah, or which I guess. It doesn't even exist. I don't even exist anymore. But um, those kind of movies, we definitely show each other our movies. And yeah, yeah. Give each other. Notes. Yeah, so it's a similar thing. But maybe it's more competitive. Some I don't know. I I don't know. No, I, I think it's really cool and inspiring that you guys feel... all have a community like that. Where it's like, well, you're gonna do it if you're not. I'm gonna. Hey, I'm gonna give it back to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that it um, it is. It's really cool. And I, you know, I think it's partly um. We all do sort of similar things, but everybody does things that are just different enough to where it doesn't feel like everybody's doing exactly the same thing. And, and you now, in, in this world, you you just said it a few minutes ago, do you you identify now in, in, as a, a comedy director? I mean, that's really what you, where you think you, you live for the, for, the, for the time being? Well, for the time being, I mean, it's definitely the, you know, I've just been doing nothing but that for a while, and so it would be sort of... Um, I mean, I can't help but identify that way, sort of. But, I, you know, I have other interests, too. Most of what I'm focused on, though, I really do love making comedies. And it's a, and I feel like it's a specific um, 
skill set that, you know, I feel like I've only recently started to kind of hone just some of the skills to where some parts of it, you know, I think you get, it gets slightly easier. Hopefully you get slightly better by working a lot. You know, it's one of these, it's hard to keep it going and it's a good thing to, to work and to shoot and to edit and all of Of that. Yeah. I felt like by, um, you know, uh, making a movie in the, right after bad teacher, I went into, you know, like three years of TV and, I felt like returning to making a movie after that was actually kind of great, and I felt different about it because I'd been working so much, you know? Well, it's interesting that now, it used to be when you would disappear to do television, the movie business forgot about you. Yeah. Not you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you mean. And now it seems like you can, it's easier to go between them that it's no longer considered, like, uh, slumming. It actually can almost make them desire you more. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I guess so, and it can definitely, I, I, that's for sure, I think it's it's also just like to keep the muscles active is a huge deal. And do you think about writing in the same way, like, um, are, do you have ideas that you want to write, that you are writing? I do, but like, I spend a lot less time writing, and I can feel where that probably hurts my writing, and probably makes me, makes it harder for me to get back in the groove, you know, and just get into the habit of it and get into the... If you're not writing, do you feel like... Um, I you're so successful in making these movies and their movies are all really strong, but um, uh, do you feel like ever like you're not really working if you're not writing? Or are you... Yeah, good? no, totally. You do, yeah, right? There's a long... There's been, it's really only in the last couple of years that I've started to feel like um, a director, like... Uh, yes, is the answer. I feel a real clear, um, like, writer's guilt about not writing all the time, even if, like, years pass but when I'm, where I'm really busy, you know, I still feel like I should be writing. Like, I've done entire TV shows that I felt like were, like, a big distraction from writing <laughs> I asking. should have been doing. Yeah, yeah that you should have been writing. <laughs> exactly. It's a really awful yeah. thing. Right? If you're, it's horrible. No, because you mentioned the Jimmy Connors movie that Dave and I directed, yeah. and, like, it's so hard. I mean, it's such hard all of it so is hard good. well that's nice but no it's all so hard but um but i do find that like when i'm oh like i spent last week editing a movie for that uh we're producing and i had to spend the week in the editing room and i really did have to spend the week in the editing room and like the movie it was really important yeah. to do yeah and i'm thrilled with the <laughs> result of yeah, it yeah and i it was all dead you know you know when you're in there like the time. I mean, it's yes. all day, and I came home totally just wrecked and yeah. consumed. And I did, though. I realized, like, I didn't write, and yeah. I felt horrible. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And you're a real. Sure. <laughs> I mean, you're a real writer, you know. And and your movies that you you wrote. I mean, I remember watching your first movie, um, Zero Effect, and I went in with a lot of skepticism, as I'm sure a lot of people did, because mm. you know your dad's so famous, mm. and. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, that guy's a real writer-director. It became super clear, like, oh, he's a writer-director. Yeah, and uh, so what was that all? I'll say something I have never really talked about on, on here or talked about much, but my dad was uh, uh, not is still alive, and I talk to him every day. But <laughs> my, my dad was um, in the music business, and he was uh, kind of a titanic figure in the music business in lots of ways. Uh-huh. He, um, like discovered in the 60s a lot of big bands and 
um, made all of Barbara Streisand's records and Dolly Parton's records and all this stuff throughout the 70s. And I grew up living in New York. Made them as a... He was executive producer, but he lived in the studio with them. Oh, really? He was a publisher and exec producer and producer. Yeah. Like, he produced If I Were a Carpenter, Bobby Darin. Yeah. Made that record in the studio. I mean, he, this is what cool. he did. He lived yeah. in, the, in the recording studios. Uh, and was also a business, like, then, by the time I was sort of in my mid-late te- teens, became, like, I'm really firmly on the business side of it. Mm-hmm. But still... And then I, at a young age, um, had a lot of success at that. I was in that business. Uh, I discovered Tracy Chapman in college. No kidding. And I made that album with Fast Car while I was in college. And, really? Yeah. And as like working on a label? Or? I was in college, and then we signed <laughs> oh, her to Electric Records. And, no kidding. I yeah, loved that record. Thanks. I produced her demos, and I mean it's all Tracy. She's incredible. But I did find her to, to uh, a very long time to get anybody to believe in in it, and. Uh, but I knew. You did all that while you were in college. Yeah, when I was uh, 19, between like 19 and 21. And um, and then and, just stopped doing it. Well, got out of college, went to work in the record business, and then realized what I... And, and part of what happened to me was... And I was involved in signing a whole, you know, a, a few different artists who became successful. And Wow. But uh, lots of things drove me out of it, mostly like the fact that I had to find a way to do this thing. And um, But it was the, the weight of my dad... Um, was really crushing in lots of ways. Huh. So, and I'm just wondering how you process. And I, that's why I never talk. I mean, I really rarely talk about it. And I remember yeah. when I finally was 30 and was able to break through and write my own thing with my best friend and have this other career. P- part of what was so like delightful to me was like it was a world my dad could never break into yeah. and try. Like, was all on my own. Even the music thing was too. But I, um. I could hear the whispers. He was so large and the, yeah. That I could understand, and I could understand why someone would look at me and go, yeah. well, if I would have found Tracy Chapman, I wouldn't have known what to do. Yeah. Like, you knew what to do. Yeah. Now, of course, I knew, as you do, well, there are thousands of people who are the sons of people and yeah. whatever who don't. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. A million, I mean, thousands yeah, of them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just, how, you know, and I, and for context, the very first thing I did for Grantland, this is a Grantland podcast. When Grantland started, the first week, um, Bill Simmons asked me, who's the you know major domo of Grantland yeah. to write something um, that had to do with poker and I wrote about Silverado and poker. Oh really? Yeah. And <laughs> uh, I, I wrote about that. why Silverado matters so much and uh-huh. why the outlaw in why poker players should be outlaws. And I talked all about a lot of about Silverado. Um so you know how have you now I'm sure in the beginning like how have you just processed and sort of put away um thinking about that stuff? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I um I have a bunch of stuff that I always say about it and I guess the most and so what's the truth so without what's the real going, thing? without saying any of that stuff. I, you know, I think that cuz you you put it in a really interesting way. You know, I think that it what loomed really large for me in the beginning and I had a lot of anxiety about what people would think. And how am I going to separate myself and all of that? And I had some sort of semi-tokenish, you know, kind of rules for myself that were um, like a little bit uh, that in retrospect, I'm not sure uh, if they were doing anything other than making me feel better about myself. But, I, you know, I am, which was, I mean, basically I didn't... uh, work with him right and uh 
you know, I'd seek his his advice, but I would not use his connections. I, I, yeah, I would try not to, but it's such a small thing, so it's like everybody kind of knows each other, and even if they, you know, I didn't work with people that he had worked with, that kind of thing. Um, and and how did you deal? Although like, ultimately, you know, Pullman ended up doing Zero Effect, so I was even in the first movie working with somebody he had yeah. worked with. I mean, it was. Uh, and that's why I sort of feel like it was a bit illusory because there's only X number of people doing this at any given time and it's all the same people. Yeah, because I you remember, know? like, I knew, like, part of me knew, I did know, like, hey, you know, I figured this out. I did this thing. Um, a, a thousand experts in the business were like, this woman is never going to sell any records. I yeah. knew she would. But, so, but, but. I guess that the truth of it is, I think I had some like low-grade anxiety about it as I was getting going, you know, and in the first years of doing it. And somehow that was always really distinct from me, mm-hmm. for, for me, from the actual work. I was able to separate those things in a way that it wasn't, it did not infect the the process of the work or the sort of um, even the result of the work uh, in any way that was that made it like a kind of incessant problem. It was like, you know, you'd put something out into the world and you which is always nerve wracking anyway, and you would have some sense that you'd be dismissed a little or something, See, re- but also you kind of know that you're going to be dismissed a little anyway. For you know what I mean? It's like uh, everything. Well, they always find a reason they, to always, dismiss It's like you. if it's not that, they're. I mean, how many people are they not sort of dismissive of? Or, you know what no, I mean? No, but I remember watching Zero Effect in the second half of what I thought would uh, then. You know, this guy's a uh, uh, real writer director was. Um, oh, I feel bad. Like I just felt bad. For, I, yeah. I, I thought, like I had the. You know, I felt like oh, this is not going to be an easy road yeah. in certain ways. I guess that there are, uh, it's uh, nice to say, I, you know, I think I just stopped thinking about it as much at a certain point, and then it's just kind of like, you know, you, you're you just sort of doing your own thing, and it becomes less of a um, conversation, and I think the other thing that made a huge difference to this is that we're really close, so it's not like it was like the specter of somebody who... Right. Was in any way like a negative figure. No, you like, grew well, up it's around, a very close you, family. You feel you learned uh, a ton. And, you know, like, like I feel like I grew up as a, um, I was, you know, I'm the son of a filmmaker. I'm myself a filmmaker. My brother is a filmmaker. Like, I think of it as like, it's, we're a family of filmmakers. And he was the first one. And he was this, he is, you know, the, this sort of, incredible guy who's done all of this amazing stuff. Um, well, you know, he's, I mean, the, I he's mean, one of the greatest who ever lived. He's one of the greats. And I there's mean, no I, argument about you it. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he's one of the great screenwriters ever and one of, and a great director and he's made a bunch of great movies. And it's like an incredibly cool thing to have had that kind of proximity to that thing and to be around, the, to have been around those movies. It's a lot of my education came from there, both, you know, mechanically just like how it all works. And then, you know, which is a huge part of this because it's not like obvious how it all works. You have to learn well, how to do it. Well, that's a huge thing that, like, when people talk about it's funny in the world, even when people don't understand, um, like, you know, uh, as a 
a liberal person when when yeah. when when people don't understand that the advantages aren't you know when the 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 other to me the other side will we'll talk about um boot you know well we've done it ourselves or generation they don't understand like the advantage for me wasn't i won't speak, but it wasn't that my dad was a connect like was connected or that i certain it was also just watching a successful person navigate the world yeah and deal with people yeah teaches you a tremendous about amount about how to navigate the world and deal right. with people and also maybe i mean i don't know exactly how it worked for you but if there was maybe a part of it just like where you put the microphone i mean like there was certain just some well, of the no, like, listen, actual uh, how it works 100 percent thing you well know? yeah and that that music thing was definitely like what how to re- i mean how to recognize right. a great song all we talked about for the first 15 years of my life was what makes a great song. Yeah, and I, that's exactly, well, that's very That's analogous. all we talked about. And, for... and I think, you know, that there was a real conversation in my house about what the work should be and what it can be to you. You know, he's kind of most, I mean, a lot of times when people talk about um, his career and all the amazing stuff he's done, they talk about, um, you know, the Star Wars movies and... Uh, Raiders, because he wrote the second two Star Wars sequels and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is just unreal. I mean, in like a couple of years that happened. Yeah, all, and then, all, I mean, almost there's almost no no sort of like um, analogous. Yeah, that's a crazy little there, run there. Only a couple of runs like and that. Then, and then, but you know, when I was growing up, most of the thing I have the most vivid memory of is more sort of like the big chill... Silverado, accidental tourist kind of period. There's like another amazing run, in a co- but of a completely different variety, you know. And I think that that guy, the guy who made those movies, like that was the thing that that I had the strongest impression of. Um, in terms of like that, that's the that's how I think of of the filmmaker he was, you know, and and is and is still that guy kind of. Even though, funny enough, he's now working on Star Wars again thirty years later. Um, it's like the the I think the lessons were about you know personal filmmaking they can be you you can take something you can work in a genre and make it personal even if it's not one to one personal um well that's the enormously inspiring thing and I, and that is what i that that is sort of what's behind the the question to you about being a comedy director and not in a, a bad way like one of my yeah. favorite filmmakers who ever lived is Harold Ramis. Yeah, who too. I know and you he, got to a, work with. But I just want to say, what was it like to direct Harold and have him on set? Yeah, it was an amazing guy, and um, it was the really sad loss because he he was just like one of the really uh, great great guys, and um, you know, he had one of the most amazing runs ever. Like, th- there's when you know. It, it's hard to even kind of think of anything like it, but I mean, there was this few years where, you know, he wrote Animal House, uh, Stripes, Stripes. wrote and starred in Stripes and Ghostbusters, uh, you know, Meatballs was just definitively involved in establishing by far the great comedy voice of the 80s, which was, you know, him and Bill Murray together and a huge part of the Bill Murray voice that's like you know defined comedy for a generation then he went and had this all these other movies you know the, the groundhog day which is like absolutely perfect comedy. Groundhog day which is a movie that in 50 years people are going to watch the way they watch the greatest i mean the yeah. greatest comedies ever made. that's exactly right um just an astonishing thing yeah 
So and what is it like? Them was fun. Um, you always like to direct I mean, like this. You know, he, you know direct uh, one of the great directors. You know, he was the just the. Uh, did you ever meet him? I met him once briefly. It was awesome. Everything I'd hoped for. You know, he but he quick. was everything you would hope for, which is he was funny, aware, generous, could really listen, and you know, just this like powerful curiosity that you could feel the second you meet him. Just like this big, voracious kind of mind, you know, uh, this big, powerful mind. And he, you know, famously could do the New York Times Sunday crossword in 15 minutes. At, you know, he's that guy. And um, brilliant in every way you could be. And hugely spiritual and interested in the really interesting stuff in the world, you know, um, which is like in some ways a little surprising maybe from, but not at all. If you really look at the movies, yeah, you can no, see it. It's you not, can feel none of that it, you know? is surprising because the reason that part of why those movies are so funny is because they're so incredibly smart and yeah. they're completely about the way people really are. Yeah, Even Stripes is, you know, I mean, t- no, t- so you know, the first hour of that movie is perfect, uh, is and it's just <laughs> absolutely staggeringly yeah, perfect. Yeah, um, and so funny, and the tone of it is so funny, and the way they're act, and that really was why I wanted him in the movies, was because I just thought, I think he's one of the funniest actors, you know, one of the funniest comedy actors of his generation. Then he would, he was, uh, I mean, he was brilliant. You know, nobody smiled like that. Nobody could do less and get yeah. make you could make me laugh by doing as little yeah. as Harold. You, th- you think I'm officer material? I mean, yeah. I'm walking tall, looking good. <laughs> That's right? Right, exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, with the littlest. Yeah, and those little looks, the world's greatest smile. You know, comedy smile. And um, well, I, I, and uh, you know, and what he was like on set, he was just nothing but great and totally. You know, he kind of loved doing it, and you, he is one of those people who, he was one of those people who had that, um, you know, real clear, happy to be here, even though I've been doing it forever, I know how lucky I am, kind of thing, which is really important to me. Oh, that makes, <laughs> yeah, that makes total sense. It's like, a, it's like a quality that I really respond to in people. Well, I mean, talking about that, that whole, like, when, when you, you know, that, that quote of yours on, uh, that is on IMDb about how I went making Freaks and Geeks with Judd, mm-hmm. you, you felt like you'd found, fa- you found this thing, right? Like mm-hmm. how you wanted to work. Yeah. And, and what was that, what did that people, you know, one of the things people come up to me or tweet at me about is, um, this big question of like, how do I know? Not mm-hmm. me, like, how? You know, hey Brian, how do I know if I'm if I'm good at if, if I should right. do this? If this is uh, if I belong? You know, what did it feel like to you to have what? How did it lock into you that like, hey, this is what I am? You know, what I thought is is true. How did that? What did that moment feel like for you? Well, you know, in the moment, I think I didn't realize quite the full magnitude of what it was, honestly. I, I knew it was a uniquely cool thing. I didn't realize that it was actually completely unique. Like that there would not that, that would was like a one time kind of <laughs> fluke thing and we had the this cast that um I mean what happened with Freaks and Geeks is like sort of almost hard to even if you would have sure. said it at the time, it would have just seemed insane. Which is not only like the show will be cancelled after a year, but 15 years from now, everyone you run into will tell you 
that it was their favorite thing, you know, and the entire cast will become bankable movie stars, starting with Seth Rogen. If somebody would have said that to you at the time, I mean, and we knew that he was one of the funniest people on earth then. I mean, we could tell this is just like brilliantly funny guy. And we knew that Siegel was amazing. We knew that Franco was going to be a movie star instantaneously the second the show right. got canceled. Uh, we knew that, you know, Linda and Busy and John Daly, I mean, it was just this amazing group of people. Martin Starr, none of them have ever stopped working. Um, but I don't think that we realized, like, it, it would have been too much to hope for that it would work quite that way. And and I think that, you know, that was that took a little while to unfold. The thing that I do feel and that I think we all knew pretty quickly was we had found a way of working together there, an approach that Judd and Paul Feig created the show, and me to some lesser extent because I was directing it early on, you know, figured out a way of kind of approaching the scenes and shooting the scenes and thinking about jokes and options and how to get to this very real kind of acting style f- for the comedy. Yeah. Like, like to find comedy well, in the, in the smallest of kind there's of empathy detail. And, there's tons of empathy and, you know, yeah. pathos and all of it in there. And, and that was... But you felt like, hey, I belong. Like, did I, you have a moment of, it, of, uh, or, of um, belonging or of, uh, boy, I feel in a state of like flow and alive as I'm doing this? It was definitely, it was an invigorating thing to do, but it wasn't until, I loved it. I mean, I totally loved it. And it felt like, uh, you know, I know I felt really this connection working with those guys that was fantastic and that I hoped would go on, you know, and continue. Um, But it wasn't until I had some bit of reflection, you know, sort of like retrospect that I could see, in retrospect, I could see that it was, in fact, like a turning point moment that had informed everything that had followed. You know what I mean? Like that there was that, in fact, the beginning to that process wise and sort of in terms of like some key kind of creative values and just what you're trying to get to. There, there was a, a lot of stuff that started there for a lot of us, I think, and has kind of continued into everything since even the stuff that on its face feels totally unrelated. Well, just to bring it back here as we get towards the close of this thing yeah. to Sex Tape, which is in the, as people um, are, are hearing this next week, is just in theaters. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're still working with some of the same people. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We're, we're all actually still working together and like, um, you know, Judd's in here in New York making a movie right now. I saw him last night. <laughs> like, yeah, he just know, tweeted. Just... He tweeted at me the other day uh, that I'm wrong about um, my cupcake preference in the world. <laughs> we don't. We don't know one another really. Just, just we have a lot of mutual friends. Wanted you to know that. Yeah. But I was uh, celebrating sprinkles over crumbs, happy about crumbs demise, and, and he and had to disagree. <laughs> he made a whole big point of uh, how wrong uh, I am about that, <laughs> which I felt was outrageous. And uh, do you have sort of like the personal movie that you know you want to make, the personal kind? I understand you're in the comedy space. A lot of, as we were just saying, a lot of comedies are very personal movies. I mean, Woody Allen's movies, Barry Levin, there's tons of them. Are you, do you have a story that you want to tell? I'm going to ask you to tell it, but is there, Um, is there something? I mean, not, not like to where I can think like, yeah, there's that on a 
in a drawer waiting for me to get to it. I'm always trying to sort of figure it out, and I'm never that far ahead of myself, honestly. You know, um, the, the funny thing was Sex Tape, which is a big commercial comedy called Sex Tape, is actually one of the things that it is, is it's about a couple, you know, with uh, young children trying to kind of reconnect. Yeah. And um, it was definitely, like, that was the part of it that was, to me, really kind of interesting about it. That was where, when I eventually kind of locked in on this after having been aware of it for a while, I was like, uh, you know, I was having a conversation with, with somebody who said, you know, it seems like this could be a really interesting movie about sex and marriage. And when I heard that, it was like this completely... It was like one of these, like, oh, yeah, I, all in one, in one moment, I could see, like, that is a funny area. It's a funny thing to write about. I could be funny about that. Jason Cameron could be incredibly funny doing that. And it all just completely gelled around something that is, in a way, much more personal, a much more personal oh, yeah, but thing you could to be writing secret, about. Yeah, then the, the, the you know, when, when Sam Mendes says it in his British accent, sometimes it sounds absurd. But the idea of, like, that's the secret movie you were making. Yeah, a little bit. And and in fact, it's pretty baldly out there. You know, it's a big part of the movie. It it was the first time in a long time, and in some ways ever in a movie that I've been writing. Because then I was Jason and I did this like sort of pass at it, you know, to get it ready from there. It was the first time that I was ever kind, of, or in quite a while that I'd been writing in a in a very kind of like overtly personal way about anything other than the TV business, you know? And, like, the TV set had well, all... Well, that's about marriage and fatherhood, yeah, too. Yeah, it is. I don't even know if you were it, a dad then. I wasn't. Right. You know, it's a different approach. But yeah. it's, it's again, it's like, I'm obviously, it's not... I don't think of it as, like, I'm that guy. But I think of it as a return to some a slightly more personal mode that even in the context of this big, insane comedy was very kind of gratifying and awesome. made me want to continue to think about that a little bit. Well, I can't wait to see it. I mean, there are only a few... There aren't that many directors where... I, I mean, I'm looking at your movies, and I have, other than the new one, I have seen all your movies. Oh, so, that's great to hear, man. Um, Thank I'm you. excited to see it. I have two um, apologies, which isn't a regular feature of the moment, but I think maybe come on. One is... Uh, I want to apologize to Liz Merriweather and Liz Winstead for confusing the, them with one another. They're different people. Uh, both and then brilliant. I, both absolutely brilliant people. And then... Uh, I definitely want to apologize for using the word obsequy. That is inexcusable. <laughs> nobody should ever use that I word. Was, uh, I made a mental note. I intend to use that word. No, that's not okay <laughs> to use. If you use that with a studio exec, they'll know you're mocking yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. Don't you can't use do, it in that You context. can't use it exactly. to them. Um, go, go see Sex Tape. Hey, are you on social media? Are you on Twitter? It's horrifying, but I'm not. Uh, so you can't follow Jake, um, <laughs> yeah. but if you wanted to follow him, just follow me uh, and tell Judd uh, and, and 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 you know tell Judd that he's wrong about um, yeah. uh, cupcakes. So um, <laughs> listen, uh, you follow me at Brian Koppelman. Go see Sex Tape with which uh, Jake Kasdan uh, directed in theaters now. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Uh, this this great. Is, uh, it's been great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.